0: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by Johnny T-shirt.com, the go-to provider for all your tar heel gear.
1: You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples, and sponsored by the Johnny T-shirt.com. It's been quite mm. lively. The day after podcast has been a uh, been marinating now for what uh 11 hours 10 hours we're recording this Sunday morning not sure when you'll be listening to it um we'll try to uh this won't be reactionary too bad won't be go over the board too bad but there's some issues that we need to discuss Buck Sanders always the uh, voice of reason Buck I'll let you start us off uh You know, I don't, I don't know if I was watching 1996 and VVA or 2020, I, you know, it all runs together at this point, but what sayeth you?
2: Well, it doesn't bother me so much or put me so much in mind of what happened in 1996 at UNC, it puts me in mind of what happened at Florida state in 2020. Uh, you, you, you make some critical blunders, you get down by 21 you make a furious comeback and you lose by three points and questionable decisions were made all along the line. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a very Carolina football thing to do apparently uh, to go on the road against a bad team and lose. And I'm with Taylor Vipulis on this, uh, watching his video. He was talking about, Hey, uh, don't, don't go for the head fake and just decide that Virginia is all of a sudden a great team. Um, you know, that they're much, much better than the one and four record that they had going in, you know, that certainly not a terrible team, but one that North Carolina should beat. And we we've got a lot to talk about the uh, inadvertent whistle and all that sort of stuff. But the bottom line to me was that, North Carolina's defense had no answer to what Virginia was doing. Uh, whatever they tried to do, uh, we were talking before we started recording, and Jason is of the opinion they had a plan. But uh, from my unpracticed eye, if there was ever a plan, it failed miserably. They just could not stop Virginia from doing what they wanted to do with the ball. North Carolina scores 41 points in regulation against Virginia. They're supposed to win that game. Uh, there's no way they should be giving up 44 points to a team that doesn't have special skill players, doesn't have a special quarterback, uh, that just doesn't have any of the usual elements you see in a team that scores that many points in a game. So... You know, that's where I'm at with it. Um, I think there is a danger in overreacting to this. And uh, 11 hours after a fiasco like that, which is what it was, it's very easy to overreact. But it's clearly North Carolina has some deficiencies that are not going to get cured this year. Um, now, I think help is on the way, help is coming, but it's not here yet. Special teams, disasters just boggle the mind as well. So, uh, that sums it up for me. Um, I've plucked all the feathers I can off of that turkey. <laughs> it was a turkey. So uh, have at it, guys.
1: Well, I agree with you about the don't overreact. And um, the message boards and Twitter and all that have certainly had plenty of those takes. Your column's not one of those overreaction tapes. If if you're listening to us on Sunday, go read books day after. Um, or the morning after is very level-headed. But, Jason, um, let's start with that defensive plan. Uh, Leading up to the game, including on the Inside Carolina Live show, I said Virginia is good in the trenches, and North Carolina has not been. I did not expect North Carolina's offensive line to look as rough as they did. Um, Of course, Jordan Tucker's injury that we did not know about until the last minute Uh, made a difference there. But on the defensive side, you mentioned they had a plan. Buck says they didn't. I didn't see much of one. Um, They knew Virginia was going to run the ball. They knew they were going to run it with the quarterback or with 99 or 98. And yet Virginia continued to do it without much. If I saw an adjustment, I didn't. I didn't know what I was looking at. So break down that side of the ball and what Jay Bateman attempted to do and what they, in fact, did against Virginia.
0: You know, the thing is, what we talked about in the, the game plan stuff and the pregame stuff was anytime you got a team that's going to run an 11-man running game, that's going to run the quarterback, you're going to be short numbers-wise, in terms of stopping the run defensively. So you know that. And so you've got to have your safeties involved in the run game. That's that, That's just you, – you. that's the extra guy. That's the guy you have to have that's going to be coming up, bringing, breaking, uh, breaking into the box, and he's responsible for tackling the quarterback a lot. Well, if you go back and you look, they had those safeties up in the box a bunch. They had uh, – they largely abandoned – Trying to cover the deep zones. I mean, they they single covered pretty much the whole night on the outside, and they went quarters and robber, which are you know basically run stopping stuff with an extra guy to to handle the quarterback as much as they could. And the thing was, you just had a bunch of guys, linebackers, safeties that did have shots on the. How many times did a guy have an act have a shot on a quarterback or on a ball carrier? And then 8, 10 yards later, that guy go, finally goes down or doesn't go down 8, 10 yards later. He scores. It, to me, the number of missed tackles by second-level players, and I'm actually looking it up right now, the number of missed tackles by, uh, by safeties and by, uh, by, by linebackers was just unacceptable. And that it doesn't matter what plan you have if two things are happening, one is if the line of scrimmage is getting reset three, four yards down the line, down the field, which it was, the defensive line was getting blown off the ball. I mean, look at where first contact was happening against the backs. That right there tells you a lot because the first contact against the backs as often as not was three, four yards downfield. They weren't seeing contact until then. And it's not like they weren't blitzing. They run blitzed. They brought pressure from the edge. They brought pressure from the edge with a run blitz on the inside. And they still weren't touching anybody for you know three, four yards up the field because guys were just getting their butts handed to them up front. And then when you'd see a backer or a, a safety get their hands on guys, those guys generally missed the tackle. And you think about one of the fourth down conversions that sticks out to me they, they had a, bl- a, a blitz where safety got into the backfield, made, made contact a yard in the backfield, just flat out bounced right off the back, just second effort got up and got another yard and a half. That's See, that the game in a nutshell. Yeah, that was nine. That, that right there, that's the game in a nutshell to me. And that's not coordination. That's not having a plan. That's, you had the right call. The guy responsible for making the tackle was in the backfield, and actually did make contact in the backfield on this. You've got to stop, and the, he didn't bring his arms to the tackle, tried to tried to tackle a little too high, came hard and just you could see it kind of stung him a little bit, and arms went limp, and then first down. you You make that play. this game turns out differently. That's one play. And so to me it was clear that there was a defensive plan. They were pulling out the stops to get extra guys on the ball. But they were outmanned at the point of attack. They don't have the defensive tackles to stop these, these, this type of team. And that's something in the offseason. If you go back through my, my scouting reports, that was the warning that I gave everybody is, look, when you're going to play teams that, have good, that, that are good on the interior, on the offensive line, Carolina's going to have trouble with them because they just don't have players on the inside yet. And think about this. Look, I, I think Ray Bohasek is the best guy they have right now on the inter on, on the defensive interior. He's a good player, but think about this. Your best defensive tackle. If you're Jay Bateman is a Juco transfer that had who, who else offered Bohasek coming out. What other offers did he have?
1: Question for Don. I would wager not a ton.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Other power five offers, I believe, was zero or one, maybe two. So that's your best defensive tackle up front right now. And I, li- I, I like Tamari Fox. I think he's got potential to be a, a, a good player down the line. But you're looking at a young player who, when you see him out there, does he look what, – what does he look like? He looks small because he is relative to that. You're looking at a sophomore who has a sophomore's body. You're not looking at a sophomore like, you know, okay, well, yeah, Clemson plays freshmen and sophomores too. Have you seen Brian Yeah. Have you seen what Dexter Lawrence looked like as a freshman or sophomore? Dexter Lawrence isn't walking through that door. You know, he's not on that field. He's not running through that tunnel. And, you know, Tamari Fox is a guy that you bring into your program hoping that by year three or four, he's beefed up and added, you know, another 10 or 15 pounds without losing too much quickness. And he can be a situational interior pass rusher and kind of a flex guy. But right now he's got to be one of your main interior guys because you don't have players at that point. And then you're going to get pushed around when you have a 275 pound defensive tackle. It's just, that's, that's football. And, you know, I know Bateman believes that they've got some young guys who are going to be good, and I think there's been some indications of some of those guys who are – I think the, the guys that came in in this class, this, the, the ones that are freshmen this year, those guys are going to be really good. You know, the, Bingley Jones is the best guy that they've got, and he's not even, he's not even playing right now. And, you know, he, he's going to be really good. You, you, Pinder is going to be really good, but they're all young. They're all – completely clueless at this point you didn't even have a spring for the early enrollees to get where they needed to get in terms of being able to contribute so and and you know oh well okay just play the more athletic guys the problem is that being more of an athlete doesn't get you anywhere if you don't have technique if you don't know where you're supposed to be if you don't know what you're going to do so it takes a year or so or at least a spring if you're if you get early enrollees that's the help so you know there was there was a plan on defense but we knew going in that it would be one of those things of you know it takes some some effort to get stops and the thing that i was in my projection for this game i said look the thing that carolina needs to do is start start quickly because if you can get 10 a 10 14 point lead early against virginia get a couple stops early and and, and score on those early drives then virginia can't do this to you all game, but when you fall behind and you're down 14 in the third quarter, that is the worst possible position you can be in for as the defensive coordinator. Bateman at that point, they can do whatever they want offensively. You still have to honor everything. And that, that just takes all of the weapons out of your, out of your, out of your grasp as a coordinator. So, you know, it, it just, Things got away from them early. They got in the wrong position, you know, 13 to 10 early because the offense kind of kicked it around a little bit where where they were able to move the football, but they didn't convert early. And then Virginia was able to get a couple plays, was able to continue to grind, and the game just got away from them. So I, I think there was a plan.
1: Buck, sticking on the defense, and we could debate it and talk about it all the time. And Jason, I look forward to some of your video breakdowns. I'm sure they'll highlight some of those issues. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about Chas Surratt and Jeremiah Gimmel being the strength of the defense. And it's difficult when they've got offensive line when getting to the second level. But when you're watching Chas Surratt and, and Gimmel play 75 snaps and Eugene Asante and Kadre Jackson those guys don't get the opportunity and then you see them making mistakes even though Gimmel's interception was uh that was solid by him but where are the guys playing behind them i mean they get no breaks they're out there the entire game against a physical virginia team uh, what should we expect from those guys if they're not getting any help behind them i'm not so sure they're being put in the best spots to succeed Um, but also they have their own set of issues that we can discuss as well. Chaz Surratt's PFF grade was 35.9, by the way. Yeah, he – yeah, we can talk about it. He he would do well to have another year in college because the last few games have exposed him. But, Buck, your take on those guys.
2: Muted, Buck. One of the things I think we – forget about in this particular game is that North Carolina has been owning the time of possession in virtually every game they've played this year, uh, this timeout, Virginia owned the time of possession. I I forget what the exact numbers were. I think it was like 35 to 25, something along those lines. So the UNC defenders, you look at this particular game and the snap counts were up the defensive line and the linebackers everybody in the game was in there for more snaps than they typically are uh, i have seen some snap counts for defensive linemen that were you know in the 40s 50s this game they were in you know the high 60s so fatigue was an issue in that situation why not why not put in Asante and Jackson, because you'll at least get a fresher version on the field. Somebody that's not worn out. And, you know, I think fatigue was an issue for North Carolina's defense, but you know, what do I know? Uh, they didn't seem any less effective in the first quarter than they did in the fourth quarter. So, um, sure. I think it's a good idea and I. I I don't think that North Carolina's staff is looking for opportunities, not to play those young guys. Uh, I think they're looking for opportunities to play them. But what goes on at practice and who's ready and who's not, and who knows the game plan and who knows what to do, and when to do it, that's not information I'm privileged to have. Uh, I guess that's where I come out for it. I I would like to see some of those younger guys get an opportunity. Guys like Jackson and Asante have been around now for a couple of years. So, um, if they're not ready to play now, that's a bad sign for 2021.
1: They yeah, also, uh, interesting sign about development and, and that comes from the coaching staff, Jason break down Chassarat's game a little bit. Uh, I mean, is it purely guys are getting to him. Uh, Next level blockers are getting to him. He he just, he has struggled mightily. The angle thing, the breaking down, making tackles. I was trading text during the game with Joey Powell. And he was like, Joey said, have, you know, at what point do you figure it out? We can talk. He's still a young linebacker. A lot of the stuff is instinct. Uh, But I see a lot from Surratt that I would have thought in my uneducated eye, could have been figured out um, and at least coached into him by now.
0: Well, the, the pro, this was my concern coming out of not having a spring, mm-hmm. was that when it comes to fundamentals and a lot of the stuff that you're wanting to train into a guy in terms of technique, in terms of uh, angles, in terms of all that stuff, that's the stuff that you hammer in in the 15 practices in the spring. Because you don't, you're not spending a 85 percent of your time doing install and working on making sure that you that they know the proper checks against this formation and again, you know that they're going to do this. And once you get into season, there's very, very little opportunity for improvement. You just don't have it because the improvement that you're going to get is based on making corrections in game and learning tendencies and things like that as you get experience to know that oh when I see this that I've got to be there fast. That's the sort of improvement that you make during the season. It's in the it's in the spring in camp and things like that where you're actually going to get better at some of the other stuff generally. And you know, I, I feel like Surratt has He's basically the same player that he was last year. He hasn't taken a step forward in some of the, some of the weaknesses that I highlighted in the offseason, which you, you called out correctly. The angles and the tackling, which go together, are the biggest thing. And there are times where, you know, Serrat is such a fast linebacker that there are times where he underestimates the speed of the other guy. He's used to being able to run this guy down from that angle or whatever. And so he'll take bad angles because he's been able to in the past against other guys and you know case in point you you mentioned already was him taking an an atrocious angle on that little wheel route out of the or bus route back up the sideline route on the uh on the on the first touchdown I mean that was that was an inexcusably bad angle from a linebacker it's okay to come under that little that little rub but you as soon as you clear it you have to you have to get back up the sideline. You have to make sure that you're never, even with the, with the ball carrier when he's catching it, you always have to leverage him. Always use your leverage. And that's something that Surratt, he needs to slow down a little bit in terms of, it's, it's not slow down physically so much as just slow down his processing in that he, he always looks to me like he's play, like he's playing in a hurry like he's got his hair on fire and he's trying to get there quick and make the play instead of settle down a little bit, play within your leverage, use your leverage and then let your athleticism take over from there. And that trend, that switch hasn't, hasn't, hasn't been flicked yet. You've got to make that transition from trying, you know, this is the old John Woodenism of play fast, but don't hurry to me he very frequently looks hurried and some of that is you know the discomfort with teams are getting guys to him in the run game a little bit more than they did last year because last year he was protected by Strobridge and and Crawford this year he's not protected the same way he's not he's not a free a free runner as often uh, and teams are you know making sure that they're scheming linemen to him and they can get those linemen to him because they don't have to block they don't have to occupy an extra blocker on those defensive tackles but really it it's him not taking good angles and not really thinking leverage first. And that's the part that ha- has to get fixed. I know that Bateman and the defensive staff, that's been a big emphasis for them that they're trying to, to get him to do that stuff. But it, it's one thing to do it in practice. It's one thing to do it in pursuit drill twice a week when you do it in practice it's another thing to actually do it when bullets are, are live and you're trying to process your coverage and doing all this stuff, and he's still sort of swimming there. Uh, and that's frustrating to see because, I mean, the talent physically and, and in all sorts of other ways is there, but, you know, he's, he's been exposed, like you said, a little bit. Uh, and the first two touchdowns that Virginia had were on him. I mean, the, the first one was him with the with the, the back com, coming up the sideline and that terrible angle. The second one, it was a schemed situation to get him a hit on the quarterback. He is a one-on-one situation where if he comes under control, that's, that's a sack. Yeah. And he overruns it, and it's a touchdown. Because he's the guy. He's the guy that's responsible for taking the quarterback there. And once again, if you watch it and you're not – really sure of what's going on necessarily it looks like well geez you know what what are they doing defensively I mean that just the seas parted and the quarterback just took off upfield and it looks like they don't know what they're doing well the plan is to get your allegedly your your team your defense's biggest strength your all you know preseason all-america candidate linebacker one-on-one with their quarterback and if I asked you in the preseason okay look we're going to – the Virginia game is going to come down to one play. One play. And it's going to be a play where it's going to be a new quarterback for Virginia, kind of a no-name quarterback, in a one-on-one situation with Chaz Surratt in the backfield. You going to take that? Takes
1: it. Everybody takes it.
0: Everyone. Everyone's going to go, Pfft. yeah, I'll take Surratt there. I'm, I'm going go to go with my best – with my most talented player there. and. Time after time in this game, Surratt lost that, that matchup. And, you know, Gemmell has, has more weaknesses, and some of those have been exposed in terms of physically. Uh, but he – that's the thing. When you, when you scheme it, when you plan it for that guy to be there to make that tackle and then he doesn't, there's not much more you can do. And I'm looking at it, by the way. There were three tackles missed by, by nine there. So Cameron Kelly had three missed tackles. Uh, at least th- these, are the, uh, these are the PFF numbers. They're going to be a little different than the, the in-house numbers, which are going to be a little tr- tougher. But Cameron Kelly had three missed tackles, and Surratt had two missed tackles leading the team in missed tackles. And those are the guys. Those are the guys that were designated as the free guy more often than not against the quarterback. And the thing is, Surratt had another four or five that were not necessarily missed tackles, but they're missed angles where he didn't even get a hand on a guy. And the, the one where the quarterback scored there is a good example of that, where he didn't actually touch him. So it doesn't go down as a missed tackle, but it sure as heck should. And in-house, in you're going to mark that as a missed tackle because you're one-on-one with that guy, and you didn't even get a hand on him.
1: Yeah, I think what you talked about, the, the coaching aspect of it, and this is what is always interesting when I see people knock coordinators, and we'll talk about Carolina's offensive coordinator after the break, but knocking Bateman, um, I don't think you can overestimate missing spring practice. For guys like Surratt, um and, and other guys and other young guys trying to to learn the game uh, buck i 'll come to you after the break. I want to talk about uh, things that are not scheme related things that are not um, on the defensive coordinator, uh, maybe two big plays that hurt Carolina terribly in the ball game against Virginia. you listening to the day after podcast i 'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, going to talk a little bit about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. great sponsors of Inside Carolina. It is chilly and raining outside my window right now, so it would be a perfect time for you to check out Johnny t shirt sales on sweatshirts and raincoats and anything you need to combat this cold weather. If it's in the 50s, it's cold to me, so I don't know how these folks live up north. Uh, But if you live in cold weather and you need warm weather gear, Johnny T-shirt is your place to shop either on Franklin street or online. And of course, inside Carolina premium subscribers get 10% off your orders and they're always running sales and you can stack those sales. Had a great one last week. I'm sure to have plenty as Christmas approaches, take another short break. Let national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back with the day after podcast.
0: This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,
2: Subscribe to Point 4, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.
1: We're back. I'm Tommy Ashley. Jason Staples, Buck Sanders. The day after podcast, Carolina loses in the House of Horrors to keep the Halloween theme in Charlottesville, at least for Mac Brown. But one of the biggest plays of the game, we can debate, maybe it's the biggest play, is Trey Morrison's unsportsmanlike penalty when Carolina gets off the field. Those are the type things... You know, I don't know how you blame a defensive coordinator for that. Maybe you can blame the staff for not coaching into the importance of keeping your head, but wow, what a, what a big, big penalty. Carolina gets a stop there and then Morrison does whatever he did. I don't think I ever saw a replay of it, but, but those, those are probably more concerning for me than the personnel issues. Cause they'll eventually get worked out and, whatever debate you want to have on scheme, those are the type of things I think just cannot happen for a team like Carolina with a razor-thin margin for victory.
2: I would agree with that, Tommy. The I didn't get to see it either. Um, I was watching at home, and they didn't do a replay of it, so I have no idea what Morrison did. Um, but at the same time, you know, Mac Brown brought it up, I think, even at ha- halftime. Uh, uh, so it is it, strange. You know, you see that, um, I can't believe that North Carolina is the only team that has that issue. Um, uh, but when I'm watching other games for whatever reason, i maybe I'm just not as invested in the outcome of the game uh, as I am when I'm watching or not watching it as closely. But you see those things from North Carolina players in the past. Um, Under Fedora, it was a frequent occurrence. Um, The uh, really good defensive tackle they had, uh, I forget his name now, uh, cost us a game, I believe. Cost North Carolina a game. When he came through and hit a quarterback late, might have been the Duke game. Dalton. there you Jay, go,
0: Jalen Dalton, and he cost him potentially two games because he also had a penalty on the sideline against Cal.
2: Yeah. So you know, I don't know. Maybe there's some something in the water in Chapel Hill that causes <laughs> that, or um, and and I don't believe that it's a a matter that uh, Mac Brown or his staff or anybody connected with the program doesn't emphasize that uh, enough or doesn't stress it enough. I noticed that you know after that happened, they pulled uh, Trey off the field, uh, I guess, to give him a little sideline instruction on what not to do. Um, you know, those things are just so troubling because this is one of their best defensive stops. I mean, Virginia has got no choice to go, go for it on fourth down, which they did four times yesterday and converted four of them. Uh, they've got to punt the ball and instead you, you hand them the ball back and say, keep going guys. Um, but as much as we could beat up about Trey on Trey Morrison about this, that was by far not the only play that you could point to and say, Oh, well that cost them the game. Um, you know, the, uh, failure to get, uh, number 99 on the ground on the fake punt, uh, you know, the fumble by, uh, toe grows, uh, the fumble by, uh, Sam, you know, there's just a number of plays not handing the ball to Javante on the two yard line. I mean, listen, I'm taking that chance. I mean. It's,
0: I'd rather take that chance than give you, give uh give a small slot receiver the ball f- 5 6 yards deep in the backfield. Are you kidding me?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh so um <coughs> I'm real <sorry. coughs> oh, oh. Um they're going to run out of time either way, right? Uh they're going to run out of time either way. Uh, if, if they hand the ball to Javante and he doesn't get in, they're probably not going to be, a, get a chance to kick the ball. So if you throw it to Daz and he gets tackled, you're not going to get a chance to tackle the ball. I mean, to, to, uh, kick the field goal. So, you know, it, why if, not, if you're
0: going to if you're going to take that chance, give it to your best player.
2: Yeah. Uh, and say, Hey, do the best you can and we'll just accept the result, you know? Uh you know, and i I guess that's Monday morning quarterbacking to an extent or Sunday morning quarterbacking um, but you know you could point to a number of plays, and you know as bad as the play was with Trey, you know that's something that's more into players' control maybe than some of these other things, so uh you know maybe that's why we're harping on it a little bit, um uh, as Jason pointed out before we started talking. Toe just drops the ball. I mean, that, you know, uh, that happens. And
0: he, he, and he might have the best hands on the team. So, I mean, that's just a fluke thing. It, it happens.
2: So, but the the, the Trey thing is completely um, unnecessary. So, uh, maybe that's why we're focusing on it a bit. But, you know, there was a bunch of the mistakes that North Carolina made were just – for them to be within three points was almost a miracle as much as they gave up in um, points just – almost every mistake seemed to cost ca- some points.
1: Well, sort of my – you know, I'm not knocking Morrison too terribly bad. Terrible penalty. Don Chapman had one as well. People will say Virginia was doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it happens all over the time. It doesn't matter unless you get caught, I guess. Um, but, Jason, the one thing that concerns me – watching this team and we've talked about all the close losses is that it seems to me that the coaching staff puts a lot of players on the uh, uh, pressure on the players to be perfect. And it seemed like that was the case. Morrison wasn't perfect. It was a bad situation. Let's, let's break down a, coach, a couple of coaching issues. And we've talked about the play on down on the goal line at the end of the first half. Oh. I mean, I'm not a knock-the-play-calling guy, but that is a, a you said whiskey tango fox trot moment. More than in 1996, the play on the goal line. At least they were throwing the ball forward in 96. What? Give me some rationale from a, from a football guy as to why you would remotely call that play. I can't. And there, I, looked, I, and it didn't look like there were multiple options, and Sam took that one. I no, I, I not
0: no. That was a, that was designed. The only thing I was trying to look for was whether that was a double pass, and I saw no indication that that was a double pass either. Because I mean, I was trying to see like, are they trying to get it out to to, to Daz in the flat because Daz can throw? Or are they trying to get it to him in the flat so that he can then you know do something cute and throw it into the end zone from there? Which I I can't tell that the you know I, I, in looking at it. I've looked at it a couple times. I can't tell that that's what they were trying to do.
1: That might have been worse if that was the play called. If they had a double pass from the two yard line with Javante Williams in the backfield,
0: that's that was my takeaway on that too. So that, <laughs> I mean, that you're asking for rationale, and I don't think that was the play because I, I, you know, if if so, then they're asking for it to be a throwback or something, and you know, because I don't see anybody out there in the end zone in front of him. And if they're not doing that, then. What are you doing in terms of thinking about getting Daz Newsome, who's a good player, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a good player, but you're getting him the ball on the edge, which Virginia, if they're anything, they've got some long, rangy guys on the edge that can all run to the edge. I mean, you could see that all this, this whole game, that, that when it t- came time to get helmets to the football, those guys ran to the ball and they would stretch you out the last thing you want to do is, is to, to put yourself in a position where you've got Newsom having to win a race to the end zone there against those guys.
2: I'm so reaching here, if I can jump in. Uh, the only thing, and, and this is a reach, maybe Sam didn't get as deep on his drop as he should have.
0: Even with that, though, uh, even I, if it's I, a forward I, pass, on, what do you think? Hang
2: thinking? on, hang on. Maybe <laughs> Newsom didn't uh, get as far downfield as he should have. Uh, so, it maybe was not a called backwards pass. It's just that that's how it worked out in the heat of the moment. But, but even, if it's, right, even if you're it's You're right. Even if, it, even if it wasn't a backward pass, I don't agree with the call. you We're got the guy to ball four,
0: four yards in the backfield. And and that part.
1: And that's my point. The, the, the coaches are putting the players in position where they have to be perfect. And you had to block that completely which they blew up the blocking. I mean, I don't don't know how many times we've seen screens like that work for North Carolina, especially with Bo Corrales out. I mean, that's one guy that can block. But, Jason, yeah. I mean, that – Baffling. That play call and then the decision – and I'll stick with you, Jason, but I do want your opinion, Buck. Everybody in the building knew that Virginia couldn't stop Carolina. If Carolina gets the ball back, Carolina's going to win. Okay, so I, it was my opinion that they should have onside kicked it. And if you don't stop Virginia, they kick a field goal, you're down six, you get the ball back. But they kick it deep or kick it out of bounds, which Jonathan – Which is even worse. Watch.
0: If you're going to kick it deep, what in the world are you doing even giving it a chance to go out of bounds?
1: Yeah, and they, that has been a strength all season, so that went sideways. But you stop them, and then you run the punt team out. How? I'll get
0: to that in a second. I still want to spend a little more time in the red zone right
1: now. <laughs> yeah, you did. mention that before we record. Okay. So set that one aside for a second. And yeah, talk I'll get about to that one zone. in a
0: second because the, the red zone thing has been an issue since this coaching staff took over last year. They had trouble in the red zone until, I mean, they, they had less trouble late in the year when they decided, you know, that Javante Williams guy is pretty good. We're just going to hand it to him in the red zone. Uh, and this year, Early in the year, there were some indications. You know, they kept handing it to Javante, and they they had success. But I do get the, the impression at this point that, you know, I like Phil Longo as a coordinator in a lot of ways. Uh, but I do get the impression that once he gets into the tight zone, so that's, you know, 10 yards and in, really, 10-yard line and in. Once he gets into the tight zone in particular, and I might say even 15-yard line and in, I'm not sure – that Carolina has a clear identity or sense of what they want to do in those situations. Uh, And, and I think some of this, I know that Mac based on the, on some of the struggles last year had basically come in and said, okay, look, we're going to have to add this and this, you know, I want to, I want to add some things to what we do on the, on the goal line to be more effective and have some more power options because of some of those issues. So I know Longo has added some things that were, you know, sort of foreign to what he wanted to do. And, but I get the impression that may be a factor in why there's a sense of. So when you, when you run an offense, when you talk about what an offensive coordinator does, you want things to be coordinated, right? So that, this concept feeds off of this concept, which feeds off of this concept. And the whole thing is a package that forces defenses to account for all of the different things that you can do in, the, in, in, those, in those packages. Now, between the, the 20s, Longo's offense is especially good on that because he's going to force you to defend every inch of the field with the air raid type stuff. And all the vertical stuff, he, 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 he coaches the verticals about as well as anybody and coordinates that into his offense about as well as anybody. And then he combines that with some of the run stuff and some of the RPO stuff that uh, is going to give the quarterback some some short options along with the run uh, run game and all these things. That's all really good, and it's why they're able to move the football so well. That's, those are really Longo's strengths as an offensive coordinator. But it seems to me that once – you get down inside the 15 and really especially inside the 10 and the vertical component is taken away that he's had some trouble identifying exactly how he wants to integrate and coordinate things once you get down in there. And so one of the things that they've done is a lot of bring everything in tight, bring an extra, you know, go to go to your elephant package, your heavy package, and use motion and all sorts of different things. And there's been a lot of window dressing down there that you know I've been a little bit frustrated by. It's like, well, okay, you've 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 now packed all this and I and that was one of the things I broke down in the Florida State week. You're gonna bring everybody into the box and now you're gonna
1: pull a guard. Yeah. Makes no and sense.
0: you're gonna you're you're gonna do some of these things like so there's a lot of window dressing to try to move stuff around, but I'm not seeing defenses have to adjust to the window dressing. You know, oh we're gonna shift real quick and we're gonna move this over and the defensive line stays put. Nobody moves. So now you're not actually getting any benefit out of that. And then when you're going into some of those tight, really tight formations, I think that actually diminishes the ability to use somebody like Javante. And it diminishes especially the ability to take advantage of some of the mismatches that you've got with, for example, De'Ami Brown against any one of their defensive, <laughs> defensive backs. And to me, there's a sense – that they really don't know what they want to be on uh, on the goal line there's a sense of like okay well I mean I guess we want to be we want to make sure we have a power package here for the goal line so we just need to make sure we put some extra guys on there and then we can run power on the goal line yeah but how does that fit into what you what you want to do and how does that fit into your personnel and how does that fit into what they're able to do defensively it doesn't feel like they're they're, they've got their identity and then they're working off of that to adjust to what the opposing strengths are. And that that's, I think, a bit of a problem and it's part of why they've had some of those issues in high pressure goal line and short yardage situations. To me, if I'm in that situation as a coordinator, one of my major philosophical commitments on the goal line, and this is something I learned from Jimbo Fisher a few years back, is make the defense defend every yard of the goal line, or, I mean, of the end zone. Make them defend the back of the end zone. And, and Fisher has, ha, has a philosophy of the, the, the place where defenses tend to be most vulnerable on the goal line, in the, in the red zone, tight zone, particularly in the tight zone, once you get inside the 10, is between the hashes in the back of the end zone. And he says, because this is one of those things where teams are always going to defend the goal line, because that's where you score. But what if you've got a player who can go up at all, who, who's capable of going up and catching the football? The 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 normal thing on the inside, you know, when you're in between the twenties, the one thing that you that you uh, that you know as a quarterback is you never can throw high over the middle because that's an interception. Mark Richt used to stand behind the Florida State offense as a as an offensive coordinator, and during drills, if a quarterback ever threw high over the middle, he'd go, "That's a pick. Mark that down. That's a pick." Even if it wasn't intercepted, it's, in, it's against drills or whatever. That's a pick because it's high over the middle. But here's the thing. Inside the red zone, tight zone, you can throw high. You want to throw high over the middle because guess what? If it's not caught, it's in stands. So for me, my commitment, go, say, put a tight end and an H back on the field. Maybe go a little bit bigger. Have your two wide receivers, have your two best big wide receivers out there. That can go up and get the football and then you know you if you if you like your one-on-one matchup out there in this kind of situation where you've got two shots into the end zone throw your fade or you give them a little fade uh, you give them an option on you know basically what the defense shows if it's a one-on-one that you like where the leverage shows that it should be fade throw the throw that little jump ball and if it's not uh, the leverage that you want let him turn it into a, into, a, uh, into a slant route and throw that slant route high and hot so that if it's not caught, it goes right through the end zone and you get another crack at it. And guess what, by the way? If you go back to the Florida State Auburn game, what did Florida State win the BCS national title on? That. That. Because they've got Kelvin Benjamin, a six foot five, six six wide receiver out there, and they said, you know what? we're just going to set up a little play action and that and you you go back and you watch that that ball's going to go out of the back of the end zone if it's not caught that's the stuff that i would love to see phil longo philosophically kind of adopt that you can you, you can make use of a guy like brown now this is where actually i think that not having Corrales really hurts you cuz he's the guy that you'd want to use in there but you can use a guy like brown or you know i saw Antoine Smith out there a few times. He's a guy that, again, you can use as a big body kind of guy that can go up and make those catches. Put them in those situations. And guess what? When they went – they threw the slant to Brown from, what, the nine-yard line or whatever later in the game, it's an easy touchdown. To me, that's the stuff where don't, don't make your life harder than it has to be. You've got your matchup. Tell Sam, put it there or put it in the stands. Let your guy go up and get it, take two cracks at it, don't get it, kick the field goal. Don't mess with all of the window dressing and all of the cute stuff trying to trick them When the, the, the game gets real simple, when my guy's better than your guy right there and you're going to give me a one-on-one, I'm going to go to that twice. Because guess what? I used to tell my, my, uh, one of my uh, fellow offensive coaches where I last coached, I've got a 6'4 receiver over here and a 6'5 receiver over here. When we get inside the 10-yard line, we should throw the football three times. I don't care what our running backs do because I know my guy is going to win that matchup probably – he's probably going to get a catch 50% of the time. And another 25% of the time he's going to get interfered with. So (laughs) – There you go. That's the game. And that that third time is going to be an incompletion because he's not going to let it get picked. So there's almost nothing bad that can happen. And now I'm going to win that half the time for a touchdown. I'm going to take those odds. Don't overcomplicate the football game. And I do think that at times this staff has done that inside the the red zone and particularly inside the 10 in that tight zone. And that's been that's really one of the only criticisms that I, that I have. I mean, there are only a couple others that I have of, of Phil Longo and the way that he's gone about things and Matt Brown and that offensive staff. So well, that's,
1: that's my thing there. Well, I asked you about the punt deal, and, Buck, I'll come to you for that one. But I, I'll say this. That uh, seven- or eight-minute discussion there will either be on Phil Longo's um, – epitaph at north carolina or his rebirth at north carolina because i think you nailed it i mean there is no excuse and cute football has never won jack i think i i think i tweeted that and that's it and the cuteness inside the red zone and buck like you mentioned um earlier maybe it was offline folks watching carolina football thought that had been dealt with thus far in the season and then it crops up again in virginia Let's talk a little bit about the ending, and I brought it up and sort of Jason buried it, and rightfully so. But, look, Jay Bateman gets a lot of critique after a ball game, and I don't know. um, It's not justified based on the personnel, but good gracious. I don't know who makes those decisions at the end, but. That's on the head coach. Ultimately, yes, but. The head coach is who makes those decisions. So, it's on Mac. Buck, that's what I mean. The the coaching staff in these type games leaves it up to the players to be perfect with very little help from the staff. Just give me your thoughts on that last play. Because I I don't – if I've seen a fake punt in a ball game, I can't recall it. And it did last night.
2: For starters, you you think about it, and everybody – in that stadium and everybody watching on TV, if they had an ounce of brains knew that 99 was going to get that ball, they weren't going to punt it. They were going to hand the ball to 99. That's where you start. Well, if everybody knows that, why are you putting your punt team on the field? You roll your defense out there and you say, whatever you do, do not let 99 beat us on this play. Uh, that's where I start, you know, is, uh, you, you don't want to let the obvious happen, Uh, you know, what's coming too often in life. We don't know what's coming, but when you do know what's coming, you should take steps to, to prevent it if you can. And you know, the, the other piece of that is I have no idea why. They didn't kick an onside kick after they scored their last touchdown. It made absolutely zero difference whether Virginia would get the ball on the twenty-five or thirty, or whether they got it on the fifty. It was it made zero difference. You still were going to have yourself all. again.
0: It's outsmarting yourself again.
2: And you know? and you've got you've got three timeouts still, you know, and uh, so why not just kick that ball on side? If, if you don't get it, what have you really lost? You you still have to stop Virginia. Uh, and you haven't get, stopped them in how long? Right. And and you're <laughs> going to just kick the ball to them. Give yourself a chance to get, get that ball.
1: That was bunting-esque. Uh, that was like, didn't didn't bunting punt
2: down in this Georgia was, this Tech? Was in, this is Atlanta. Yeah, in <laughs> Atlanta. <laughs> i, it's I uh, I, I, my wife had to hide all the kitchen knives uh, <laughs> from me watching that game. They had not stopped Georgia Tech that entire second half, and North Carolina scores a, a, a touchdown or uh, or maybe it was a punt. They got stopped, and it was fourth and short, you know, like fourth and one, I think, uh, maybe midfield, and Bunning punts the ball. Still hadn't
1: seen the ball since.
2: No, uh, they're still <laughs> running the ball down there in Georgia Tech. Uh, and this is 2000, what, three that or four Footballs
0: at the varsity now, probably. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, you know, in, in that situation, even if, uh, Virginia is anticipating, you're going to kick the ball, uh, on side. So what you could get lucky and, and people that do recover on side kicks. More often than not, it's luck involved. It bounces off a guy, you know, something crazy happens, and you happen to end up with it. Give yourself a chance—a
0: ten percent chance that you're gonna that you're gonna recover the the onside kick. Is still better than a zero percent chance that they're gonna get the that, that you're gonna get the ball when you kick it out of bounds, or a, you know a one per you know a half percent chance that they're gonna and fumble it back there. And you haven't
2: stopped the the whole second half.
0: So. And the, those odds don't change whether you kick it to them or not. I yeah. mean that oh, that that one yeah. uh, that burns me up because it's like of all the things analytics. You, you, there was an article and that was one of the things that, that Mac has done pretty well so far this year has been to trust the numbers on analytics, even when it's gone wrong. Every analytic in the game is going to tell you, you haven't stopped them all night. The, anything. If, if it gives you a 2% chance of getting the ball without them getting it, then you onside kick it because that 2% is still better than the percentages that you've stopped them in the second half.
2: And there's a 100% chance you're giving them the ball back. You know, so. That's right. <laughs> yeah, those, those kinds of things boggle the mind. Uh, I, I don't know who's making that call or what they're looking at or uh, what book of analytics. that. Uh, throw that
0: one out. If it's in any book, throw that one out. That one's yeah, got to be replaced. You might want to
2: get the revised edition. You know, You might want to get the –
0: they can feel free, please, please, give me a phone call and hire me to be your, your analytics analyst to give you de- game, game time decisions on some of this stuff, and I can promise you there might be a mistake here or there, but I can promise you we ain't going to blow that one.
2: Jason's auditioning for a job. Here. <laughs>
0: Look, you guys they, they've got my job interview. They've got my <laughs> phone number. They know that I'll, I'll be happy they, I'm, Listen in fairness, I'm, both, I'm both easy and cheap here. I don't even cost that much.
1: In fairness, Jason, uh, my better half was like, "Who didn't know they were fake punting?"
0: Everybody knew. In fact, when (laughs) they ran out the punt team, they ran out the punt team in punt safe formation to try to stop that. (laughs) Which further is baffling to me because you have a timeout.
1: (laughs) But how many times have we had this podcast? But but,
0: I mean, (laughs) you have a, a bunch. You have a timeout. Why not call the timeout and tell your team, all right, everybody, they're going to fake it. Let's look for their best ball carrier, whoever that's going to be in the backfield. And it that wasn't guy's even a question.
2: It. it was going to be 99. I, I mean, know. he's lined up. You know to but tell catch them, the ball. Tell you know, them so
0: this is who's going to who it's going to be, and this is why we're just going to leave the defense out there because even though they haven't tackled him all night, they've got a better chance of tackling him than the backups that are out there on the on the punt team. So you know what? We're going to call and, a timeout. We're going to set this up, and we're going to make sure
2: if a, you if you've got a guy back to catch the ball,
0: you, you put know. one of your put put. Put uh, uh, put your punt returner back there with the defense. That's fine. <laughs> the rest, but put your defense out there and line them up and say, look, here's how we're going to do this. We know that they're going to fake it. We don't need to run our, our our fake punt safe unit out there for this. And even if we are going to run our fake punt safe unit out there, we're going to call timeout to make absolutely dang well sure that they're set up perfectly. Yeah. And – that, it just drives me crazy. And the other thing is why I also do not believe in reserving a timeout for your offense in that situation. How much clock ran between, second, between third down and fourth down?
2: And you know they used all three of their timeouts um, at a spot where they did them absolutely no good. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, so three, I believe a timeouts at the end of the half when they couldn't stop the clock anyway. I mean, yeah, it weren't, so, weren't going to so, do any good.
0: So yep. I believe in using your timeouts on defense as soon as they're going to run the clock because on offense, you can always spike it. You can always do, you know, you can run kind out of bounds. Spike it. You can When's run the out last of bounds. time
1: Carolina spiked the ball? You Serious can, do a, you can yeah. do
0: a lot of, you throw the ball out of bounds, run it out of bounds. There's a lot of things you can do to stop the clock on offense. Uh, if you're not taking the timeout when they're running 40 seconds off the clock, that's 40 seconds that you can't get back. Yep. And so you always take the time out as soon as you can. Like if it's third down and you you get a stop and the clock's still running and it's going to be fourth down, you take that time out there because you're going to need that 50 seconds from the time that the that the ball is set and then you get the 40 second clock. You're gonna you're gonna lose 50 seconds if they take that down inside the inside the uh, the you know five seconds on the play clock. So if you take your time out there, set up your punt safe. However you think it's best to set it up, because you know that you know they're not gonna punt that. And if they do punt it, fantastic. They've not stopped your offense all night. Just go ahead and just hand the ball to diami Brown again on the outside. Just, you know, quick something quick out there, and it's good one of the Brown brothers is gonna score.
2: You know, one thing we haven't really talked much about because <laughs> it didn't turn out to be relevant, but um the, when they had the ball on the two yard line at the end of the first half. I think they started that drive maybe at the 25. How many seconds did it take them to get to the two-yard line? 45 seconds. You that's know.
0: why you don't worry about the timeout.
2: You know, I mean, they drove it 75 yards. Uh, you know, in like 45, 50 seconds. I think it wasn't much more than that. I think yeah,
0: that's why you don't take your time. You don't save your timeouts for offense. Virginia, but I mean,
2: you know, could it was like throwing against air. Yeah. Um, you know, for Sam Howell, he sets a record for the most passing yards. You're not worried about if you get the ball on the ten. Yeah. You no, know, it uh, doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make a difference. So, and, and the
0: the the one thing that and and I hate to say this, but I I really do. <laughs> I I I don't want. Let to me
2: say call this, time but... out real quick here, Jason. Yeah. We we said we were not going to beat up and overreact on on the staff too much. I think we have really deviated from that plan we're not
0: but the thing is we're not overreacting here (laughs) we're not overreacting this is not an overreaction to some of the all we're pointing out
2: is mismanagement here
0: at the end and that that's Uh, uh, that's justifiable I'm,
2: I'm, i'm half kidding at least
0: but i mean we're not overreacting here in that in that we're pointing we're pointing out some mistakes that i think the coaching staff would absolutely say yeah you know what we made the mistake there
1: and that's the, probably the, true the thing that's that like I, the conference calling in on monday saying oh yeah we did blow that call
0: yeah sorry. exactly yeah sorry <laughs> and they and they absolutely blew one that cost carolina four points in a game <laughs> that carolina lost by three yeah so yeah. let's not forget that right so that's a that that's not a insignificant thing i mean that was a big that was a big blown call yeah uh
2: but As, uh, somebody raised that point on the. Uh, Torped message board, which if you're not a subscriber to I IC, you need to be. Somebody made that point on the message board, but, uh, someone else as despondent and depressed as the rest of us, uh, posted, well, North Carolina just found another way to lose the game. They, were, they, they, they had... might be right. sees
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know Carolina ending though. Good gracious.
2: Uh, But they destined to uh, lose the game. So, well, they got that extra four points or not wouldn't have mattered.
0: (laughs) But, yeah, the frustrating thing, and this is what I was – this is what I I really don't want to say, but I I, I think – Feel compelled. I do feel compelled to say is if you go back to the old Texas-Oklahoma games for a number of years back in the early 2000s, some similar end-of-game situational stuff happened there uh and this is something that you know uh, it's not an overreaction to say that there were mistakes that were made that mac and everybody on that coaching staff is gonna is gonna say was made and and i think also you can go back and say that similar mistakes have been made in the past in terms of timeout use in terms of you know certain kicking decisions and things like that in the past that again there this is one of those things where i think Mac and the coaching staff. Mac is a, is a phenomenal CEO, a phenomenal – I think he's one of the best head coaches in the game. But I think that, that history suggests that, that there is one place that he can really learn from the Saban approach on certain things. And that is uh, I've, I've heard about and, and have, uh, you know, from, from various places – the legendary end-of-week coaching meetings that Saban will have with his staff where they will run through almost every end-of-game or situational scenario possible. And okay, so we're down by three. We've just scored. There's two minutes left. How are we going to handle that? what's our what what's our what's our preferred onside kick or are we going to kick it away and all of those decisions okay so we're going to get down to here how are we going to use our timeouts and they war game they plan every possible situation now funny thing is that Saban's actually been gotten twice by Auburn on stuff that he's over he's he's missed so there's a certain point that even when you do this stuff, you're never gonna like. There's always going to be something as a coach that you might miss. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. I mean, as as detailed as he is, the kick six, he did not he he did not have his team ready to handle a a kick a kick returner who caught it a yard you know a yard from the end line, and they just weren't ready to take the angles necessary to stop that. Well, that's live and learn, right? And then also last year when <laughs> Gus ran the punter out there and then lined him up at wide receiver to you know, get the punt team out there and then, and then run a regular play against the punt team. That's something that Saban had never anticipated. Now they changed the rules because Saban cried about it. But, uh, but it's the war game kind of planning for every individual decision on some of these things to make sure that you're not making that decision in the moment to the degree that you typically would otherwise and I do think that that's something that I don't know what the what the what the process is for how Carolina plans for some of these things and how Mac does it in terms of end of game or certain scenarios okay you know we've got the ball 13 seconds left inside the inside the 5 yard line we've got no timeouts what are our plays what how are we going to I I don't know how, how much they've got those things prepped and planned, but that's something that I would, if I were Mac, I would take a, a look at my process and say, okay, what is it that I need to add to that end of week coaches meeting to make sure that all of us from me to my coordinators, to my special teams coach all the way down that we're all completely prepared to make sure that, that none of these mistakes happen in those situations because that's the stuff that's, that's, that's cost Mac and his teams in the past. And I think if they can clean a couple of those little things up in terms of, of the preparation, they'll win a couple of those, you know, as, as David Hale tweeted eight games, 32 decided by what 32 points or whatever it was, maybe instead of eight games, that's four games. And that's a big difference. And, and, I do think that they, that there's still improvement that can be made there. I think Mac would concede that there's improvement that can be made there, and this is this is a place where, again, I as a staff would want to uh, to do some self evaluation of of my process, not during the game, but my preparation process before the game and how all that how all those decisions are prepared to be made. And and this is it would probably be worth an off season visit to to Saban or one of his you know one of his disciples and see how they do it. Uh, just to see, to take a look at their war game script going in.
2: Tommy, before you wrap it up, I've got a question because I've never, I had never seen this before. Um, Michael Carter getting him himself out of bounds.
0: Oh, that was brilliant!
2: And touching the football. Now we've beaten up on special teams pretty hard. That's um, coaching. Uh, that, give him. Them- I've seen it before. I think somebody did it for Carolina years ago but yeah if you catch a pretty rare thing to see you know uh but
0: uh, you know we've we've talked about some coaching mistakes mm. so far on this applaud the coaching staff right there for not only knowing that that's how that works but having your guy prepared to do it
1: yeah because there for a second it was what is he doing yeah yeah (laughs) but as soon as i was thinking as soon as he slid out of bounds, I was like, oh, that's a kick out of bounds. Great play. But, yeah, you're right, Jason. You're right, Bug. What, look, we knock him a lot, but that was big. That was really big.
0: And I thought Longo's plan on the night in terms of what they did offensively was exactly right. It just – inside the 15, there were a couple of things down there in, at the end of the first half that just – it's like you had it 97% perfect game plan for this game, and then there's that.
1: Yep and that's what i've been my theme it's the inches it's the perfection that the line is so thin that they have to be perfect to get wins uh it's been fun it's always fun to talk to you guys it's been uh quite lively it was lively (laughs) off the air it was lively on the air i hope the folks enjoyed this uh this is probably our longest one in a right good while game day after i'm tommy ashley that's jason staples and of course buck sanders uh I guess we'll do this again next same time next week, boys.
2: Let's hope for a happier uh, conversation next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, if we have to you. do if we have to do this one again, we're we're moving it to the nighttime like we did the <laughs> uh, <laughs> the game
0: plan. And just a reminder, you all you all at UNC, you got my phone number.
1: Let's <laughs> 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 start calling. You, call you, I'm your agent, so they got to give me a cut. It's been fun, boys. Y'all take it easy. Enjoyed it
2: for listening to another podcast from inside carolina.com brought to you by johnny t-shirt.com where to go for your next
0: tarheel gear purchase